I remember the first time I heard Pete Seeger. I was 14 years old. I was at Buck's Rock Work Camp in New Milford, Connecticut. And it was not much of a summer for me. I remember that my friends and I had decided we would build a one-hole golf course, and we played for orange drinks all day long. And then I saw some guys gathered around, this tall, skinny guy who was playing a banjo. And I said, who's that? I said, you stupid idiot, that's Pete Seeger. And I listened. Wake up, wake up, darling Corey. What makes you sleep so sound? Them revenue officers are coming. Gonna tear your still house down. And I listened and I listened. And I have to tell you, it changed my life. It was the moment. It was the time that you heard an instrument that you loved. I've come to play myself. And it was a time that you heard songs that made sense, that really could motivate you. And I sat there and I heard Pete Seeger play for the first time. And then I was hooked. And from then on in my life, every Pete Seeger concert and every Carnegie Hall concert and every time I could get anywhere to hear him, I would hear him. It didn't stop there, of course. Every afternoon after I would study at the Donnell Library in Manhattan, I would go down and on my way out, I would always check out either the Weavers on tour or the Weavers at Carnegie Hall. Well, every night I would put those two records on my Victrola and I would fall asleep. And as I was falling asleep, I would hear Sule Ram, Sule Ram, Sule Or I would hear the incredible, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Now you have to understand what that was like. Because here were all these people at Carnegie Hall for this concert, which was basically the guts to get out from under the blacklist. It was electric, and I wasn't there. But I've lived it a thousand times. At the very end of the concert comes We Wish You a Merry Christmas, because it was around Christmas time. And in this one moment, Ache, freedom, shanti, shalom. Shalom, I hear that record, no matter how many times those words come back, why can't we have Christmas the whole year around? you got to hear it, but if you're anything like me, you will get shivers down your spine, because that's what happens to me to this day. In this next hour, Pete turns to his work with children, shares his thoughts on the environment, and tells us what he's most proud of in life. 
I'll bet you won't be surprised to hear his answer. This is Pete Seeger, year 2001, in Beacon, New York, an interview for Alan Chartok. When the sun comes back and the first quail calls, follow the drinking gourd. The old man is a waiting for to carry you to freedom. I'm a most lucky person. I'm really, not only I got a good education, I came from a family of teachers. My great-grandfather came over from France and advertised, if you want your son to go into the diplomatic service, have him study with Professor Charlier. And pretty soon he had a lot of students and started a school. He had a very successful prep school, the Charlier Institute. My mother took me to the big brownstone house where it was on 58th Street, which was uptown then. The brownstone house is being torn down to build the Barbizon Plaza. Now, now the Barbizon Plaza has been torn down for a high rise. And there were some preachers in my family. One was a preacher in Salem, Massachusetts at the time of the Witchburners trials. My father was a very thoughtful scholar. He did not want to get publicity outside of academia, but he was well known as, an, as a musicologist. And is still well known as a musicologist. I'm just, as far as musicologists are concerned, I'm just his son, Charlie Seeger's son. This is one of his lines Plagiarism is basic to all culture. The last paper, the one book he, he allowed to get printed, he read papers all over the world, sometimes in Spanish. He went down to Chile and read a paper in Spanish because he was born in Mexico. His last paper said, The folkness of the non folk and the non folkness of the folk. And the last sentence says, Thus we may see that, musically speaking, the population of the United States could be divided into two classes. Those who do not know that they are a folk, and those who do not think they are a folk. (laughs) But we all are, whether we like it or not. And I had aunts and uncles and parents who were teachers, Meanwhile, I had an aunt who taught school and said, Peter, come sing some of your songs from my class. I can get $5 for you. Seemed to me like stealing to do what I'd done all my life for the fun of it. But I went and took the money and quit looking for a regular job. I've been singing for kids in schools ever since. I really love to sing for kids in school. Speaking of children, tell me about Abby Yo-Yo. Well, Abby Yo-Yo is another song which originated in South Africa. And for 10 or more years, oh, 50 years... I've accepted the royalties on this song. After all, I arranged and adapted this old public domain melody. And at first I'd gotten mad at other people, and then I realized I'd done exactly the same thing without thinking. After all, it was public domain. That means anybody can do whatever they want with it. And I'd made up a children's story based on the footnote at the bottom of this book of African folk tunes. Oh, it's a kind of funny story about kids where I think at that time three and six years old, and uh, we didn't have electricity yet. I was going to tell them stories or something or sing them songs to put them to sleep, and I thought I'd sing them a lullaby. Kids get that old, though, and they realize a lullaby is a propaganda song, and they shouted me down, we don't want a lullaby, we want a story, a long one. 
at the foot of the page where I'd learned this song, it said, this concerns a giant who eats people up. And the parents get it dancing, and when it falls down in a fit, it is dispatched by the parents. So I made up a story off the cuff, off the top of my head, and they wanted to hear it the next night. The same story. The song appears at the end of the story. It's a lullaby. Ah, be yo yo. 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 Be yo yo. Be yo yo. Ah, be yo yo. Be yo yo. Be yo yo. Ah, be yo yo. Ah, be yo yo. But after telling it to my own kids over and over, I tried telling it at a summer camp I was singing at, and I started dancing around in the stage imitating the giant as he dances and gets exhausted. Uh, he's so proud that somebody's made up a song about him. <laughs> anyway, I've now done this for almost 50 years, and then I realized I'd collected royalties on it. As of now, 50% of the royalties for this go to... Normally, a publisher takes 50%, and I get the other 50%. But I asked my publisher, how about you cutting yourself down to 33%, and I'll cut myself down to 33%, We'll give 33% to a public domain commission in South Africa, but there is no such thing as a public domain commission yet. I hope there will be some year, because there's a lot of great melodies down there, and people will put English words to them, or some other words, French words, or Russian words, or Japanese words, and they should send some of the royalties to South Africa. Well, if it was a Zulu song, it might go to Joseph Shabalala's music school, you know, the man who leads Ladysmith Black Mombasa. He takes the prophets from that wonderful singing group, and he puts it into a Zulu music school so Africans can learn their own music from their own school, from people who know their own music. But this is a Xhosa song. Now, the Xhosa, in many ways, are competitors of the Zulus. Mandela is a Xhosa, and uh, it's possible that his mother sang this lullaby to him when he was a baby. At any rate, I understand that he's set up a Xhosa Children's Trust Fund, if we can't find a better place to send it to, that's where the money will be sent. On the other hand, it might be sent to the music department of the Xhosa College, where young Xhosa can learn Xhosa music. That's a funny sound. You have to pull your tongue away from the roof of your mouth. If you pull it away from the forward part, it's like... It's spelled T-S-K, T-S-K. If you pull it from the back of your mouth... It, but South African languages are full of these clicks, as they say. The Xhosa people, uh, their name is spelled X-H-O-S-A. But the way it's pronounced is more like Xhosa. Pete, where have all the flowers gone? Well, I should send some of the money to Russia, because that's an old Russian folk song. I was reading the Soviet novel, And Quiet Flows the Dawn, about the Cossacks galloping off to join the Tsar's army. Singing, where are the flowers? The girls have plucked them. Where are the girls? They're all married. Where are the men? They're all in the army. 
And I said to myself, that sounds like an interesting song. I should look it up. And I write down three lines and put it in my back pocket. Riding in an airplane about a year later, I was leafing through my little back pocket notebook, and suddenly a line that I'd thought of all by myself, long time passing, I'd written that down too. That would sing well. I should put it in a song sometime. And all of a sudden... I thought of an old Irish tune. I thought I made up the tune until a year later. Somebody said, Pete, you just slowed it down. Remember that Adirondack lumberjack song, an Irish-American song? Johnson says he'll load more hay, says he'll load ten times a day. Well, sitting there with a drone of the airplane in my ear, 20 minutes later, I'd made up a new song, three verses at least. And that evening when I sang at Oberlin College, I pasted the words to the microphone and sang them. The audience kind of liked it. It's such a short song. It only had three verses. I put it together with several other short songs and even recorded it for folkways. I used to call them my short shorts. As time goes on, I forgot about it. went on to singing other songs. It wasn't a great song. However, one of the Oberlin College students had a job at a summer camp, and he learnt the song off my record, my folkways record, and sang it to the kids. And they used to have fun making up new verses. Where have all the counselors gone? Broken curfew, everyone. But by the end of the summer, it simmered down to two very good new verses. This counselor, incidentally, Joe Hickerson, was for 30 years head of the Folk Song Archives in the Library of Congress. He's only recently retired. For years, I've given him 20% of the royalties because he made up those last two verses. And the kids went back from summer camp, and Peter, Paul, and Mary had just gotten together in Greenwich Village. Somehow they learned this song from some kid and started singing it. And my manager one day said, Pete, didn't you write a song called Where Have All the Flowers Gone? I said, yeah, about four years ago, three years ago. He said, did you ever copyright it? I said, no, I don't guess so. He said, well, you ought to. The Kingston Trio have just recorded it. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time passing Where have all the flowers gone Long time ago Where have all the flowers gone Young girls pick them, everyone When will they ever learn When will they ever Well, I called up Dave Gard, the head of the trio, who was an old friend. He'd gotten a copy of my banjo book way back when it was first written. $1.59, about 50 pages, mimeographed, How to Play the Five-String Banjo. That's my bestseller, you know. I finally ended up re-editing it, rewriting it, improving it, and over the years it sold 100,000 copies. Of which one was mine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... Dave said, oh, Pete, we didn't, we didn't know it was your song. We'll take our name off it, because they had copyrighted it as his standard practice, thinking it was an old song. So uh, it was very nice, because the legal term is, I had, quote, abandoned copyright. Mm. But he took his name off it, and Harold Leventhal, my publisher, copyrighted my name. That helps me pay my taxes every year. I'll bet it's got to be one of the most prolific sold songs in, in history, right? Well, the person who really spread it was Marlena Dietrich, the great movie actress. Her daughter once said to her, Mother, there's a song the Kingston Trio have recorded I think you'd like to learn. 
Marlene got a man named Max Collett to make a good German translation. It sings better than the English. Sag mir, wo die Blumen sind. Wo sind sie geblieben? Sag mir, wo die Blumen sind. Was ist geschehen? Sag mir, wo die Blumen sind. Mädchen pflückten sie geschwind. Wann wird man je verstehen? Wann wird man je verstehen? She was retired as a movie actress, but she had a one-woman show. Bert Bacharach led her orchestra and made a nice arrangement of it, and she went around the entire world singing this song, singing in Tokyo and, and Buenos Aires and everywhere. She spread the song around the world. And it's been recorded in many languages. Some people have absolutely done beautiful jobs on it. I haven't sung it for years. Matter of fact, I haven't sung many songs in years because my voice is so bad. When I go on the stage now, I'll sing a first line as well as I can, and then the audience sings the song from there on. And I prompt them, giving a few lines. Where have all the soldiers gone? And they sing the verse. Where have all the graveyards gone? And they sing the verse. I notice that you perform a lot with your grandson, Tao, and he picks up some of the slack in the singing. Are you pleased with that? My wife and I are fortunate to have five wonderful grandchildren. One's a ballet dancer, and the oldest, who's half Puerto Rican, his name is Tao Rodriguez, is a very good singer and good guitar picker and good melody writer, too. He hasn't tried writing many words, but he's a good melody writer. He's written some very good tunes and is now making a living singing with a group called the Mammals. Ruth Unger, who's the daughter of Jay Unger, the great fiddler and the maker up of the tune Ashokan Farewell. But Ruth Unger, his daughter, sings with my grandson, and they have a group called the Mammals. <laughs> and we sometimes sing together. I'm a good song leader, but as I say, my voice is as you can hear, is not much anymore at age 81. I know you're not prone to accepting flattery, but to hear Pete Seeger say, I'm a good song leader, defies modesty. Speaking of which, I want to ask you something. I was astounded, astounded, to see this country do the right thing and to honor you with the Kennedy Award. Now, I know you're not given to awards, and I know you're not a guy who likes that stuff, but really... Did you ever think in the HUAC days and all of that that this country would be honoring Pete Seeger with a medal around his neck along with some of the greatest people in this land? How do you react to that? Ever is a long time. And I assume that if I'm doing something good, sooner or later people will know about it. If it's no good, it'll be forgotten. You know, Shakespeare was wrong when he said the good that people die dies with them. Antony talking about Caesar. Julius Caesar. No, an architect's good buildings last, the bad ones are torn down. <laughs> and a songwriter's good songs last, and the bad ones are forgotten. So I've, if I've ever done anything worth remembering, it'll be remembered. But frankly, I should have turned down that award and a whole batch of others. My life has almost been ruined by too much publicity. The mail comes in by the bushel. Uh, most men chain their wives to a sink but mine's been chained to a table full of paper as well. And between the two of us, working hard, we can barely keep up with the mail. I don't have time to do other jobs I should do. I've got to rewrite and get out a, a third edition of my songbook, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? It has about 200 songs in it, but some need to be pared down, and I want to add a few. 
Some of my best songs have been written since it came out. I'm no fool. I've got a song where I have the entire audience singing a four-letter word. And I get away with it. I had 3,000 Quakers singing this song. It's called To Arrange and Rearrange. On the general subject of how do, do we stop the growth maniacs amongst us. <laughs> it's a funny song in view of the fact that's the way they put up with me getting them all singing a four-letter word. And matter of fact, I made up a new song. I only just made up the words. I used somebody else's melody. And guess what? For 30 years, I thought I wrote this melody. I read in a book a children's rhyme. Crawly, creepy, little mousy from the barney to the housey. In the pantry under the shelf, he found some cheese and helped himself. Nibble, 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 nibble. That was what was printed in a book. And I say to myself, that's so good I should put a tune to it. Crawly, creepy, little mousy. You start walking with your fingers up the leg of a little baby. From the barney to the housey. Now you get to the kid's back. In the pantry under the shelf. You walk over the kid's shoulder and end up tickling under the kid's chin. He found some cheese and helped himself. Nibble, 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 nibble. And of course, the little baby giggles. It's one of the best things I ever worked on. And I thought I wrote that melody for 30 years until I was singing a song from the American Revolution. Frank Warner collected it from a family in New Jersey. He said their great-great-great-great-grandfather was in George Washington's army marching to take over New York after the revolution was won. And they were saying, doodle, 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 dandy, cornstalk rum and a homemade brandy, Indian pudding and a pumpkin pie. That will make the Yankees fly. And Frank would go strumming on his banjo. Or the drummer would go. Well, I'm out in the woods, and there's a weed which has come over from someplace overseas, I think. We call it bindweed, but I don't know what the Latin name is or the, any name. And it's taken over part of our woods. So I had crawly, creepy, little viney. Round the tree goes twisty, twiny. But here comes Grandpa with his shears. Snip, he's cutting short your years. <laughs> cutting short your years. And then I thought of a second verse. Now hear this, says little Viney. You think you've stopped my twisty twiny, but you just nipped me near the top. Down below my roots don't stop. Well, this needed a third verse. That's harder to get. Ah, through the ages, it's a struggle. It's enough to make your mind go buggle. But if we can laugh and think of rhymes, perhaps we'll live a longer time. If I'm singing this in a school, I'll get the kids to come in on that last word because it's logical to put the word time to end with rhyme. I try to get kids helping wherever I go in schools. I do a little rap song. I need a banjo for this, but I do a rap song which Josh White Jr. put together called English is Crazy. He got it from Richard Lederer's book, Crazy English. And it's a hilarious rap. In what other language do you drive on a parkway? Park on a driveway. Ship by truck, send cargo by ship. Have noses that run and feet that smell. English is crazy. Try it again. English is crazy. How come a slim chance and a fat chance are the same? 
whereas a wise man and a wise guy are opposites. <laughs> Overlook and oversee are opposites, but quite a lot and quite a few are the same. How come the weather can be hot as hell one day and cold as hell the next? <laughs> How come your house can burn down while it's burning up? How come you fill out a form while you're filling it in? English is the phrasing. Well, English was invented by people, not computers, and it reflects the creativity of the human race, which of course is not a race at all. So when the lights are out, they're invisible. But when the stars are out, they're visible. When I wind up my watch, I start it. But when I wind up this rap, I end it. English is crazy. <laughs> oh, look, an eagle is outdoors. I can't keep talking. Look at that thing. Oh, just a very big hawk, but I think it's an eagle. I think you're right. See what a short. What a beauty. Could be a very young eagle. It doesn't have a bald head yet. There's a family on the cliff about a mile south of me, and sometimes they circle over our house. Once we, my son-in-law Shabazz and my wife Toshi and me, stood for one minute watching this bald eagle circling over our head. See, good things are happening. Twenty years, thirty years ago, they thought there'd be no more eagles left. We'd polluted them out of existence with a DDT. But you can turn the clock back. Don't let anybody say you can't turn the clock back. The Hudson River is swimmable now between, I'd say, roughly between Catskill and Yonkers. And the governor of New York is saying, let's put in the swimming beaches again. I'm telling him, put in floating swimming pools. You don't have to pay so much for lifeguards. Much safer. Should we be um, dredging the PCBs out of the Hudson? If they did it with the old clamshell dredges, I'd say no. And, of course... They stir up the muck, but they have modern dredges, more like a vacuum cleaner. So that's what needs to be done. They're more expensive. And the General Electric Corporation doesn't want to spend the money. And they've spent a million dollars a week to persuade the people of, of the valley, oh, don't dredge, it'll just stir them up. But the truth is going to come out sooner or later. Whether it's going to come out during the Bush administration is a question. But... Uh, I'm sure it's going to come out, and they're going to have to be dredged sooner or later. Garbage here, garbage here, garbage there, garbage there, here, there, here, here, up and down the river, sing it all, stopping all along the way. The river makes it dirty now, but it's getting cleaner every day. Catching fish, catching fish, catching hell. PCBs don't cause cancer so much as cause birth defects. But all the scientists know that women, especially those of childbearing age, should not eat Hudson River fish. One won't give you a stomach ache. Two will not give you a stomach ache. But you eat them every day, then you have a baby. That baby's going to be born with, like thalidomide, without a normal body. One more time! Sailing up, sailing up, sailing up. 
George W. Bush, the president of the United States, has recently changed his mind, Pete, about a long campaign promise on carbon dioxide and getting rid of coal-burning plants. A lot of people are very angry about it. I wonder how you feel. Everybody's got a right to change their mind. I think before we go along with the president, or as some people say, the resident, we should really get the facts out. And nearly every single scientist in the world now, except those who are paid salaries by the oil companies, say that if we don't do something to cut down our use of fossil fuels, that climate is going to change and the oceans are going to rise much more. Oceans have risen already in the last century about one foot. Do people know this? No, it's not told them. The media doesn't tell them. Occasionally you find an article on the back pages of the Times, but the average newspaper doesn't tell them that the oceans have already risen one foot. And there's hardly a scientist anywhere who doesn't believe that they're going to rise two or maybe three feet at least in the next century. But if we keep on using fossil fuels the way we are, it could go up a lot more than that. Already some islands in the Pacific are being swamped forever. People who've lived there for a thousand years, have had to move off their home. They've lost their home. If the oceans went up another 10 feet, millions of people would lose their homes. Not just countries like Bangladesh and states like Florida, but cities all around the world would have to put up dikes. It would be a huge economic disaster for the world if the oceans even go up 10 feet. Now, admittedly, in the long run, this may happen in spite of our best efforts. Nobody knows, but it could happen very quickly. You know, we're in an interglacial period now. When I was a kid, they used to think there were one or two glaciers. Now they think there might have been 18 or 20 of them for the last two million years, and they're not agreed why. I think it's because I'm not the only person who thinks this, because there's a coincidence of an ocean over the North Pole and a continent over the South Pole. And this sets up some kind of a vibration who knows? Whatever it is. Because once upon a time, there was no Atlantic Ocean. Some 200 million years ago, the continents started drifting apart. We're still drifting apart slightly. Do you know we're half an inch further away from Europe than we were last year? <laughs> Maybe not quite. Maybe it's only one centimeter. <laughs> Pete, you made me cry, unfortunately, during an NPR program in which they called you and they asked you about the death of Burl Ives. And Burl Ives had not been friendly during a very critical period during the House Un-American Activity hearings and stuff. And, and you, you had an answer which was so charitable and so, so distinguished. Forgot uh, what I said. I'll remind you. You said something like, Burl Ives has forgiven me my excesses or whatever, and I forgive him. <laughs> And it was such a charitable, nice thing to hear from you. I wondered whether you have any chance to reflect on that. Well, we didn't speak to each other for like 50 years. But he was a leading character actor in Hollywood, 
and very possibly owed a lot of money, as Josh White did, which is quite, I'm sure, why Josh White testified for that foolish, very evil committee called House Committee on Un-American Activities. After they testified, I didn't speak to Josh for 30 years. We embraced when I met him at Newport. He came to Newport Folk Festival. And uh, Burl agreed to come to a concert at the 92nd Street Y, and I agreed to come there, and we embraced. He had leukemia, didn't have long to live. Yeah, I think forgiveness is an important thing. Everybody makes mistakes. I've made a huge lot of mistakes. I've already told you about a few of them, of accepting royalties for songs that I only helped write, but I didn't I didn't uh, send any royalties to the place where the music came from, or in, another, in the case of Turn, Turn, the words came from. One of the main mistakes I've made was behaving like most men, thinking that my job was to uh, go on out, out and make a living and let the woman stay home and raise the kids. And I was away one year 75% of the time, left my wife to raise the kids while I was gallivanting around the world. I have a cartoon up on my wall showing a woman answering the phone. She's got a broom in one hand, and she's pushing a big pile of dirty laundry in the other hand, and a kid is tugging at her skirt. And she's saying, no, he's not here. He's out trying to save oppressed people. And face it, there's a lot of men who thought they were doing just the right thing, but uh, they were not doing as much the right thing as perhaps they thought. Tell me what happened with the Smothers Brothers. I've always wondered oh, about that. Tommy and Dick Smothers are two great guys, and they know the value of humor. You know, one of the things that's going to save the human race is humor. I'm serious. That's why I do this English is Crazy song everywhere I go, and why I wrote this other song called To Rearrange and Rearrange and Rearrange, where I get the whole audience to sing a four-letter word at the top of their lungs, because humor may be one of the main things which will save us. Because we're doing terrible things to each other. We're doing terrible things to the world. And how do we reach each other? I'm a great fan of political cartoons. Some of the best parts of newspapers, they let cartoonists do things which they don't let reporters do. They don't let editorial writers do. And I've seen some wonderful cartoons in papers. I've found there's an organization of political cartoonists. I think if there's a world here in a hundred years, it may be the cartoons will save us. Music may help. But the Smothers Brothers, there was that famous time when you were censored on their show. Well, first of all, in the month of March or April, their show was the top show in the country. And Columbia Broadcasting System says, what can we do for you to make you happy? The show's doing great. They said, let us have Seeger on. Well, Let's think about it. I'd been blacklisted for 17 years. I'd done some syndicated shows. I was on Playboy's Penthouse Party with all those bosomy young women. And I was on the David Suskind show, where a person in the audience stood up and said, Mr. Seeger, are you blacklisted? And I said, I don't know. I have no way of knowing. All I know is I don't get any jobs. <laughs> Suskind looked me right in the eye. Mr. Seeger, I can tell you, you are blacklisted. Well, in this was 1967, Dick and Tom said, let us have Seeger on. Columbia said, well, <clears throat> let us think about it. In October, they relented. Okay, you can have Seeger on. I sang Waist Deep in the Big Muddy. Right. One of my better songs. It certainly is. 
It didn't mention President Johnson by name, but he implied that he was a damn fool for not getting out of Vietnam. We were waist deep in the big muddy, the big fool says to push on. Sergeant said, sir, with all this equipment, no man will be able to swim. Sergeant, don't be nervous, Nelly, the captain said to him. All we need is a little determination, men, follow me, I'll lead on. We were neck deep in the big muddy, the big fool said to push on. The tape was made in Los Angeles and then sent east. The CBS higher-ups listened to it. And they let me be on the program, but they censored that one song. They took that song out. Yes, because I remember you were standing there either with a guitar or a banjo. No, I was standing there with a banjo, and next thing you know, I had a guitar in my... <laughs> uh, uh, no, I was standing with a guitar, and next thing I had a banjo in my hand. Right. I think the person who did the cut purposely made it obvious. <laughs> they wanted the people to know that you yeah, had been censored. I, it was cut. Well, Tommy and Dick made use of the print media, which is a competitor to the airwaves, and they got their point across. So CBS is censoring our best jokes and censoring Pete's best song. And I guess they got a lot of publicity out of it. Finally, in January, CBS says, okay, okay, he can sing the song. On one day's notice, I flew out to Los Angeles, and now I did a batch of soldier songs. In fact, one of them is one of my favorite songs in the world. It's called the D-Day Dodgers, about the British 8th Army in Italy during World War II. We are the D-Day Dodgers in sunny Italy. It has humor, it has sadness, sarcasm, all tangle up. to me. It's one of the world's great songs, written by a Scottish folklorist. Hamish Henderson. And then I sang Waist Deep in the Big Muddy, and this time it went on the air and seven million heard it, and even more heard about it. I haven't been asked on TV that much in recent years. I did get on the Today Show once, and I knew that they wouldn't want me to sing a certain song, so I was prepared. I arrived at like six o'clock, and over the intercom, the director says, Pete, what you got for us? And I said, well, I got a little banjo tune, and I got something a little more serious. It's a funny song, but it's got a serious point. Well, let's hear them. So I sang the banjo tune. Fine. I sang the other. It's called Garbage, which has the whole crowd going garbage, garbage, garbage. In Mr. Thompson's Thompson's factory, factory, they're making plastic Christmas trees completely with silver tinsel and a geodesic stand. The plastic's mixed in giant vats from some conglomeration that's been piped from deep within the earth or strip mine from the land. And if you question anything, they say, why don't you see? It's absolutely needed for the economy. Oh, garbage, 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 garbage. Their stocks and their bonds all garbage. What will they do when their system goes to smash? There's no value to their cash. There's no money to be made, but there's a world to be repaid. Their kids will read in history books about financiers and other crooks and feudalism and slavery and nukes all their knavery. To history's dustbin they're consigned, along with many other kinds of garbage, 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 garbage. Well, they said, Pete, you got something a little more cheerful. This is early in the morning. So I sang, walking down death row. I sang for three men destined for the church. Pete, do you have something else? 
If a revolution comes to my country, <laughs> let me remember. Well, Pete, I guess we'll stick with garbage. The whole studio broke up. The cameraman, the prop man said, yeah, we'll stick with garbage. Well, I got to do it on the air, but I wasn't asked back. I haven't been on the Today Show since. There's a story that I heard somewhere about Johnny Cash having you on a show. He did. He insisted I be on his show, and he allowed me to do a great song about Osceola. You know, Johnny Cash is part Native American in his heritage, and he's very proud of it. And he has some great books of Native American history, how the Cherokees were sent west on the Trail of Tears and so on. And this song was made up by a man in, named Will McLean in Florida about the great Seminole chief Osceola. And Johnny let me sing this on his show. But when it finally came on the air, the producers insisted the last verse be cut out because that's where Osceola gets his, don't trust these people. You know, he was captured under a flag of truce, which is a common technique for a ruling. They say, yes, we'll have a flag of truce. Let's talk. And when you come out under flag of truce, you're supposed to be able to return home again. No, Osceola was captured, imprisoned. And he said, let me die in prison as a lesson to my people never to forget. And don't trust those people. Guantanamera? Oh, it's a nice story about that. You know, I learned this song only 13 miles from where the words were written. Jose Marti was living in New York. He was an ex a journalist in exile from his home in Cuba, and he was making himself sick. He said, I don't want to hurt Spain. Spain's the mother country. And if we do get independence for Cuba, how do we keep her out of the clutches of the great eagle of the north? And the doctor said, Jose, go up to the country. Go walking in the woods. Get your health back. So he went up, of all places, to the Catskill Mountains. And there he wrote 200 verses, and they later came out in a book called Versos Sencillos, which means simple verses. And down in Havana, Cuba, 50 years later, a man fits it to a popular melody, a melody that men used to sing in bars when they got drunk. Where were you last night? Ha <laughs> ha, Guantanamera. That means woman of Guantanamo. It was made up to make fun of the, of the sailors and the women going out together in the American naval base. Well, this classical composer put together Marti's deeply philosophical verses with this barroom melody. Incidentally, the man down Cuba has never gotten any money. He's dead now. His family should get money. They've never gotten any money for this song. It mounts up in a bank in New York, but Washington won't allow any money being sent to Cuba for 40 years now. Anyway, I'm, I'm a singing at a summer camp in the Catskills, and the kids say, oh, we've learned a wonderful song from our counselor. A young Cuban studying in, at the Manhattan School of Music had learnt this song from his piano teacher in Havana. Now he was grown up studying in New York and needed a summer job, so he was at the same camp where they changed around the words of wherever all the flowers gone. Anyway, he taught the song to me there. I wrote a letter to Cuba. I said, I want you to know I'm not taking any royalties for this song. They deserve to go to Cuba. However, the man who fitted the words to the melody friend of his was executed way back at the time of the revolution and he says to his wife oh this is what happens in all revolutions let's leave here we'll come back when castro's dead castro is still there and this man's dead now but while he was in new york he got some royalties for this song because he deserved it he fitted the one tune to these old words 
Guajira, Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera Yo soy un hombre sincero Pero donde crece la palma Yo soy un hombre sincero pero donde crece la palma y antes de morir me quiero echa mis versos del alma Guantanamera Guajira Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira Guantanamera Pete, I've kept you way too long, and Toshi, your wonderful wife, is going to kill me. But I want to ask you real quickly, you, you wrote a song years ago. I think you wrote it. I've looked for it everywhere, and I can't find it. I can find everything else that you've done. It's, it's a song about one of the kids who integrated one of the schools uh, in, in, in the South called Authorine. It was about, I believe, about Authorine Lucy. She later on became a successful newspaper reporter for a while, at least, I think worked for the Times, among others. But what happened to the song? You can't find the song. Oh, it's not that great a song. I love that song. There's a girl I'm dreaming of I haven't met her yet There's a girl I'm dreaming of I never can forget She proved herself so faithful So honest and so true her beauty shines so brightly in this night we're passing through. This girl I'm dreaming of has a face that's calm and clear. She seems to stand for everything that I hold near and dear. This girl I dream of I have never seen. Her name is Authorine I love you, Authorine Though I'm a married man I love you, Authorine For I'm an American And as I love my country I love those who make her great and the bravery of those who challenge ignorance and hate. I love you, Authorine, I'll tell this cockeyed world how old Jim Crow was rocked back by one slip of a girl. Millions of us know just what I mean. I love you, Authorine. It's one of the numerous songs that did not get reprinted in the book of my songs, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? It was an attempt, a sentimental attempt. I think you have to beware of sentiment, too much sentimentality. Hey, you know, my book has a great line, if this guy was still living, I'd send him royalties. He was a cheerful little anarchist. Oh, now my memory's going, and I can't remember his name. Mm. Oh, he ran the Joe Hill House out in Salt Lake City, and he was friend of Utah Phillips. Ooh. Don't feel bad, Pete. You're 81, I'm 59, and I can't remember anything either. Well, 
he got off this line, love, wisdom, courage, you need all three. Love alone is sentimentality, as in the average churchgoer. Courage alone is foolhardiness, as in the average soldier. Wisdom alone is cowardice, as in the average intellectual. There's lots of intellectuals who know what needs to be done, but they're not going to speak out too loud about it or they'll lose their job. And this is the problem in politics and in the media and in academia. However, we have a wonderful tradition in this country, and it is a wonderful tradition, of humor. And things can sometimes be joked about which you can't be serious about. That's why I love cartoons. Pete, what are you most proud of? Is it the clear oh, water? Is it the Hudson? Is my it? wife has stuck with me for almost 60 years. She was only 21. She said yes when I said, will you marry me? I was in the Army at the time, and her family thought, you don't know if he's going to ever come back. You'll be saddled with a baby. I wanted to have children right away. Well, that's what I'm most proud of, that she's stuck with me. Well, there's been times that she's been ready to kill me because I have done some awful stupid things. I made it up a couple of years, a year ago, from my wife's birthday, and her grandchildren sung it to her. She's an awful good cook. Sometimes you come home, and I can't figure where she gets a meal put together, because it's, but she just looks in the icebox and finds something. My grandma, she can make a soup with a little of this and that. She can feed the whole sloop group with a little of this and that. Stone soup, you know the story. Stone soup, who needs the glory? But when grandma's cooking, no need to worry. Just a little this and that. You can help me out if you get those words. I have to get them very quick, though. Grandma likes to make a garden grow with a little of this and that. You got it. But she likes to have the ground just so with a little this and that. Not too loose and not too firm. In the spring it's all got to be turned. In the fall not the compost to feed the worms with a little of this and that. Grandma knows we can build a future with a little of this and that. And a few arguments never, never hurt you with a little this and that. True, this world's in a hell of a fix. And some say oil and water don't mix. But they don't know a salad maker's tricks with a little this and that. The world to come may be like a song with a little this and that. To make everybody want to sing along. With a little this and that A little dissonance ain't no sin Little skylarking to give us all a grin Who knows, but God's got a plan for the people to win With a little this and that I can tell you so many mistakes I could rattle on for hours of the mistake. I can tell you how not to form a chorus. 
I tried to start one a few years ago. I can tell you how not to build a dugout canoe. I had a whole batch of people trying to dig a dugout canoe. Only after it finally rotted away from my mistakes did I learn how I should have made it. And, of course, I think I would say that I would have learnt that you cannot start a socialist government without finding a way to have some kind of Bill of Rights for everybody. Otherwise, your socialist government will last just as long as the leaders don't start assassinating each other. Because in small or big ways, the only thing which will save an organization is freedom of speech. And that wonderful little First Amendment has saved our country for 214 years now. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above a fruited plain. wasn't in the Constitution first, but many a state only uh, ratified the Constitution on the understanding that the Bill of Rights would be immediately attached to it. And when they came after you, Pete, you fought on the basis of the First Amendment, not the Fifth Amendment. Well, in a sense, of course, I didn't quote it, but my lawyer quoted it when it came to court. I just said, these questions I think no American should have to answer. Whereas the Fifth Amendment, in effect, says you, specifically you, have no right to ask me, specifically me, this specific question. But I simply said, I got a right to my opinion. This is what I told the committee. You have a right to your opinion. I got a right to sing anywhere I want. I've sung for the Rockefellers and I've sung for lefties. It's America. And I got a right to do this. And when the judge had you up there, he took out your banjo and said, I'd like to sing a song. Well, there was a specific song which they said was a vile, traitorous, communist song. It's true, it was written by a communist, a wonderful poet named Walter Lowenfels, working with Lee Hayes. The two of them wrote the words of, Wasn't that a time? Was that a time? A time to to trust the soul of man. died at Gettysburg and lie in soldiers' graves but there they stand the slavery tied and there the faith was saved wasn't that a time wasn't that a time a time to try the soul of man wasn't that a Ronnie Gilbert wishes this song could be rewritten, and by gosh, it has been written. A friend of mine has written, Try the Human Soul. Soul sings just as well as man. (laughs) But Ronnie got tired of all these verses about men this, men that. Where's the women coming in? Pete, we want to thank you for spending all this time with us. As you can see, I can talk on forever without stopping. And I could listen forever. It's a family joke. I just asked Grandpa who was Queen Elizabeth, and three hours later, he was still talking. My life flows on in endless song 
above earth's lamentation I hear the real though far off him that hails a new creation through all the tumult and the strife I hear that music ringing it sounds an echo in my soul how can I keep from singing thanks to our producer David Gustino who worked his guts out on this project and to our engineer Pat Cooney and special thanks to Pete Seeger and his wife Toshi for allowing us to do the interview in their home I'm Alan Shartok. Oh, the darkness round me close Songs in the night it giveth No storm can shake my inmost calm While to that rock I'm clinging Since love is Lord of heaven and earth How can I keep from Tyrants tremble, sick with fear, and hear their death knells ringing. When friends rejoice, both far and near, how can I keep from singing? In prison cell and dungeon vile Our thoughts to them are winging When friends by shame are undefiled How can I keep from 